that it's taping and it is all right all right we're gonna today we're gonna step out of the book of Ephesians for for a couple weeks and we're going to be looking at one of the three major doctrines that the world challenges that Christians believe and two of the doctrines even some Christians have troubles with so those three doctrines are the creation six-day creation a young earth okay the world challenges that a lot and even a lot of Christians challenge it and say oh what's the big deal well the big deal is it is the foundation for almost everything that we believe it is the foundation for marriage for family for government I mean without if you want to deny the six days creation you're denying just about every doctrine of the Bible so we want to just we're not going to talk about that today. we've talked a lot about that in the past the other doctrine that people have a hard time with and this one isn't so big a deal for Christians is the resurrection of Jesus. <laughs> okay, there, a lot of people will say, well, there's no way. People don't get up from the dead and, and, and walk, you know. Uh, and that one's challenged by the world a lot. And we've talked, you know, during Resurrection Sunday, we talked or gave a long message about all the proofs of the resurrection. So that one is actually, those two are very provable. Okay, we, you know, we can prove it through science that we have a young earth. Okay, it's very easy to prove that once you start with the foundation of it's a young earth. If you start with the foundation of it's millions of years old, then you kind of whitewash all the young earth stuff out. out. Okay, the, create, the resurrection of Jesus is pretty provable because we, we talked about that, 500 witnesses and, and all the people that saw him afterwards. If you went to court with 500 witnesses, you'd win your case. And if you didn't, you really had a corrupt judge. Uh, well, today we're going to talk about the last of the major controversial doctrines, the virgin birth. The virgin birth. And people have a big hard time with that. Hopefully we as Christians do not. Uh, because we're going to kind of show you why it is a very important doctrine. Without the, the doctrine of the virgin birth, we don't have Christianity. We don't. You know, if you go, well, it's not, you know, and, it's, and you hear people all the time go, they'll also say, well, the virgin birth of Jesus isn't that big a deal, you know, the, the fact that he's here and all that, you know. No, it is a big deal because if he's not virgin born, we have problems. So we're going to start in the book of Luke. I'm going to travel around a lot today, so you may or may not keep up with me on this. Luke 26 through 35, and this is the story of Mary hearing the announcement. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into the city of Galilee, named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Hail you that are highly favored, the Lord is with you, blessed are you among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his sayings, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you shall conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of this kingdom there shall be no end. Then Mary said unto him, How can this be, seeing I have that I know not a man. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit shall come upon you, and the power of the highest shall overshadow you. Therefore, the thing, holy thing that is born of you shall be called 
the Son of God. This was a miracle. Now we've talked in times past, you know, can you imagine what the, the changes this put in Mary's life? Okay, to be pregnant without a, without a husband in that day for the Jews meant death. Okay, uh, if you're, especially for her, she was, she was already espoused. And, you know, we would use the word engaged, but it was more than engagement because it was a legal ceremony that said they were, as far as everybody was concerned, married. They just couldn't consummate the marriage until certain things happened. And that was, those certain things were, Joseph had to go build, the, build a room or a house, you know, room on his parents' house or a separate house for him and Mary. He had to get his, his job going. And he had preparations he had to make to be ready to bring a wife into his life. So he had these jobs. And, and what would end up happening is after he got all these done, he would talk to the, Mary's dad and say, OK, I'm coming to take Mary tonight and have our celebration. Okay. So we're in this period where he's building a house, starting a business. He's probably looking forward to this day of celebration, you know, this week of celebration that he's, that he's happening. And in the middle of all of this, Mary gets told that she's pregnant. <laughs> okay. And this was a big deal, a really big deal. But we're not going to cover all of that today. But the idea that she became pregnant without intercourse. And this was a, you know, <coughs> It's been a miracle for many years now. In our day, we wouldn't, we wouldn't think of it as that big a deal because man can get you pregnant, <laughs> you know, with in vitro fertilization. They can take a, take a sperm and inject it into the egg, and, and a woman can get pregnant without, <laughs> without having the intimate contact that she so desires or has problems. So it's not so much as a miracle now. And if we can do it, God definitely could do it. And so we want to look at this. This was God doing something very different. But it's very important that it was not involving man. Because the sin nature is passed on through man because man was cursed. If Jesus had not been virgin born, he would have had a sin nature. If he had a sin nature, he could not have been the perfect lamb to cover the sins of the world. So Jesus was born without a sin nature. He's the only one that's ever been born without a sin nature, because Adam and Eve were created and did not have a sin nature. And everybody up until Jesus has, and beyond, <laughs> has had a sin nature. But Jesus did not have the sin nature. And it's very important for us to understand the virgin birth is the key to all of this that can, can happen. He's, he said that he was going to be called the Son of God. Okay? Son of God. Not son of man, which is one of the one which is used in some places, but the son of God. He was the, the very completely God. And what we see in this is it's a very fancy theological term. It's called the hyperstatic union. If you ever hear anybody on the radio or, or read something and it says the hyperstatic union, it means the union of God and man completely. Okay? Jesus was 100% God, okay, and 100% man. Now, if you're mathematically minded like I am, you know that that's impossible, but that's what it is. <laughs> now, in mathematics terms, he should have been 50-50, and that's how the world would look at it. But it wasn't that case. He was completely God and completely man. And he had to be both. 
He had to be man to be able to be able to go through the trials and temptations and resist them and gives him the possibility of failing. And this is controversial. There are many people who will tell you that Jesus could not in any way or shape have sinned. And I am not of that school of, school of thought because I don't think it's, if he could not have sinned, then there was no sense of tempting him because there was no temptation. Now, if he could not have done it, then there's no temptation. But he was also 100% God, so he had a strength that none of us ever have, ever have had. So he, was not going, so he was not going to sin. Could he have? I believe he could have, but he wasn't going to because he's fully God. And very thin line of, you know, on that. And, but uh, he lived a life of perfection. And we just want to look at some verses to be able to show us this. Uh, in John chapter 1, starting at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life, and the life was the light of the man. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And then we'll drop down to verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So we see John here telling us Jesus was the Word. He was in the beginning. He was the creator. And there's other verses that talk about this. So this was a good one, to, good one to use. He was the creator. Nothing was created without him. And then in verse 14, the Word became flesh. And the glory of God shone through him. Okay? He was 100% still God. And this is kind of, this is really hard for us to understand that he became, God became human. This is bizarre in the, in, the, in, the, in the events because you think about this. What is the most weak thing you can think of would be an infant. An infant left alone will die. It can't feed itself. It can't get out of the cold. It can't, can't clothe itself. You know, uh, an infant left to themselves will die. And God became man in the, the weakest form that man is at. You know, it would be one thing to think of, OK, God became man, and he showed up as a 20-year-old strapping <laughs> adult. Okay, Could he have done that? Absolutely. He's God. He could have just said, OK, you know, I'm coming down on earth. And I'm going to come as an adult. I'm not going to go through this childhood. I'm not going to go through the weaknesses. I'm not going to go through the, the learning of how to be obedient and how to do things. But that's not what God chose to do. He came as an infant, needing to be taken care of. And the, the, the I, I don't know whether it was a horrifying experience to be the mother and father of God <laughs> or considered a great blessing. You know, especially when they lost him in 12 years old. <laughs> you know, we lost God. <laughs> you know, we, we let him get out of our sight. But just, you know, it's hard enough to raise a child to, and, and have hopes and dreams for them, to, but to have the Son of God, the Savior of the world in your, in your possession, to be taken care of, to lift, lift up. You know. And then in, uh, hi. <laughs> in Luke chapter 2, 
starting at verse 51. And when they went down with them and came to Nazareth, he was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Reading this verse just to show us that he was human. <laughs> he had to grow. He had to grow up. He increased in wisdom. He increased in stature. He increased in his obedience. He learned obedience through what he had to go through. And this is something, you know, that's kind of interesting. He, he subjected himself. He put himself under the rule of Mary and Joseph. You know, can you imagine the humility that it took? You know, I'm God. I can do whatever I want, but I'm going to pay attention to my parents. <laughs> I'm going to listen to them until the time came to step up and minister. You know, but we want to just bring out 100% God, 100% man. And this is what the Christmas story is truly all about. We get wrapped up in Christmas, buying the gifts, decorating the house, uh, you know, family, family activities, uh, you know, family dinners, uh, get all wrapped up in all the pageantry of the Christmas season. And hopefully we as Christians don't totally forget that it's supposed to be a celebration of Jesus' birth. Yeah. Unfortunately, and I know it happens, we get wrapped up in everything but sometimes. And this, Christ, this, this, this holiday is being taken over by the world and, and, and shattered and destroyed. But we as Christians need to keep in mind it is the celebration of his birth. Now, was he born on December 25th? Probably not. Okay. Uh, in the 400 AD, the Romans declared that Christianity was the approved religion, and they looked just as any other government did. They did not want another holiday that people were not work. So they took a holiday that was already in existence, the winter solstice holiday, and tied Jesus' birth to that, to that day. Okay. Does that mean we don't want to celebrate? No, it just means we need to keep in mind what we're celebrating. The original celebration for the world was the winter solstice, and then they tacked on the, the birth of Jesus. Okay? And this is true of almost all of our Christian holidays that we celebrate. None of them have anything to do with actual dates. They all have to do with what's already in existence. So we just want to bring that up. Not that it's a big deal, but just to keep it in mem memory, because every once in a while, somebody will throw out to you, well, was he really born on the 25th? We don't know. <laughs> now, uh, it, there is a line of thought that actually puts it in this period of time based on when he would, different things. The other, the other school of thought is that he was born around the time of Tabernacles, which is where I believe that he was born around the time of Tabernacles, which would also put us close to, closer to the, the, the fall. So. All of this goes in. Some people actually believe he was born around Passover. It really doesn't matter when he was born because we're not going to be able to prove it. So the key is when we're celebrating, let's celebrate Jesus' birth. And forget all the other hype and, and, and that goes on around it. Uh, we can enjoy it. Uh, give you, we can give you a lot of lessons on all the garbage around Christmas time that is all based in the in the occultic world and everything, but we're not going to worry about all of that because it's not that important. But Jesus was born in, in uh, we want to think about why did Jesus come? Why is it important that he came? And the reason is, is that he's going to be 
the Passover lamb for us. He's away from death into life. And this is very important. He didn't just, God didn't just say, I'm going to go live amongst people just to see what they're like. He knew what we were like. He knew all of our thoughts. He knew everything about us. He didn't go, well, I just want to prove to them that you can live a perfect life so that, so that, so that they can live a perfect life. No, that wasn't his purpose in coming. His purpose was to die. You know, he came to die. Not just to die, but to die for our sins. And he came to die on the cross. And we want to look at that just because this is something that's important. In John chapter 17, verse 3. I'm going to start at verse 2. And you have given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Talking about Jesus. And this is eternal life that they may know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth and I have finished the work which you have given me to do. This is Jesus' prayer just before he's getting ready to go to Calvary. He's off on his own and he's going, God, you've given me power. I've finished the walk. Only one thing left to do, go to the cross. And it's amazing that Jesus kept telling the disciples, I'm going to go to the cross, I'm going to die, and I'm coming back. Over and over and over he tells them this. And it never sinks into their head that he's going to go to the cross and die. Because they're saying, he's Messiah, he's going to deliver us from the Romans, he's going to set up the kingdom. So every time he said, I'm going to the cross and I'm going to die, all they heard was blah, blah, blah. You know, doesn't compute, doesn't fit into what we know you're going to do, so you can't be saying something important. And afterwards, when the Holy Spirit came, they understood. They understood the times that he told them this. And something we've got to be careful of as Christians is that we don't get ourselves so focused in on what we think is the truth that we don't listen to God's word. Because it's real easy for all of us to say, this is what I believe, and I don't know why I believe it, but this is why I believe, and when the scripture comes against it, uh, well, no, I don't know if I really want to believe that, so, you know, I mean, blah, 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 you know, skip over this section, okay, I like this next part. Okay, we need to be careful that when we get the word of God, we listen, that we listen, because sometimes we were taught wrong in Sunday school. Sometimes we were taught wrong by some pastor that we've heard, that, or maybe we heard wrong. Now, which is more, a lot of times more likely, but there's a lot of people out there that aren't teaching the Word of God that call themselves pastors, so it's possible to get bad teaching, even from pastors. And unfortunately, in Sunday school classes, most churches kind of throw whoever wants to teach the kids, they get whoever. doesn't matter whether they know their Bible, doesn't know, matter whether they, they're solid in their teaching. And I have always said that the kids deserve the best teachers that we can give them, always. And it will always be the way for me is that they're going to get good teachers for the kids. The adults, you know, hopefully we get good teachers, but the adults can figure it out on their own whether they're being taught right or not. They can dig in and they can, they can be a good Berean in research. But kids are going to believe what they're taught. They're not going to go, I've got to go check this out in the, in the, in the books and, the, and everything. That's not the way kids work. Kids will believe what, they are, what they're told. And this is why it's important for us as adults is for, as, that we go to our 
grandchildren, our children, our nieces and our nephews, and we teach them the Word of God. Because they need to hear the Word of God. They need to be taught correctly. And we're losing, the, we're losing generation after generation because parents don't do a good job teaching their kids. When I was working in the Sunday school class, it used to bug me when my, when my parent would say, I need you to teach my kid really well. You know, get them saved. I would think, what do you mean, me get them saved? You know, what's wrong with you? You know, when I, when I was, had my young kids, I, I was very jealous. I didn't want them to get saved in Sunday school. <laughs> I wanted them to get saved at home with either myself or my wife. Now, if they got saved in Sunday school, I'd have been happy, but I was jealous of that. I wanted to be able to be the one that gave them the good news that, that, that delivered it. You know, I would have been happy if they got saved in service or Sunday school, but you know, I told God, you know, God, I don't want this honor. <laughs> I want the honor. You know, do we feel that way when we're dealing with our children, our grandchildren, nieces, nephews? The honor of bringing them to God, getting them to be a new creation. You know, in today's world, a lot of times go, well, I'm just going to let my kids make up their own mind. I'm not going to try to influence them. Okay, you want your kid to go to hell. That's your, that's your prerogative. It's not mine. I want them all to go to heaven. I don't need the world teaching them the wrong thoughts and, the, and, the, and wrong religion. We need to be able to say, Jesus came to this earth to die for our sins. The Christmas story needs to be brought to our kids. This is the perfect time to, in family groups to bring in. This is, how this is what we're celebrating, the birth of Jesus. And why did he come? So that he would go to the cross to be our savior. Great time to bring the gospel into people's presence. It's amazing. If you talk to people who aren't church people, there are a lot of people who have no clue what Christmas is all about. They have this kind of iffy thing. Well, there's this baby that was born you know, in a manger. and you know, shepherds came and wise men came and angels sang songs, but I really don't know what it was all about. You know, why they made a big deal out of this baby. They need to be told. We are getting a great biblical illiteracy in this country. People do not know the Bible stories. They don't even know the major Bible stories anymore, much less all the little ones that are through the Bible. They're having trouble with the big stories and they don't know them because they never read the Bible because nobody in their life brings out God. We have a whole generation that's headed to hell because nobody cares enough to give them the gospel. We need to share the gospel with people. Share it. And I encourage you, most people in this church are old enough to have grandkids. Get hold of your grandkids. Share the gospel with them. Even if your grandkids don't want them to hear the gospel, give it to them anyway. Because these are your grandkids that will end up going to hell if you don't give them the gospel. It's important. This whole thing, Jesus came to die. Romans 5.8. Many of you might have that verse memorized. Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Very important that you see that he died for us us. He took all of our sin upon himself so that we could be forgiven. You know, and this to me is just one of the most amazing thoughts when we look at it. He died for us so that we 
could go to heaven. He paid the price. He went to the cross willingly. In John 19, Pilate said, don't you, you know, aren't you going to answer me? Don't you know that I have the power of life or death over you? And Jesus' answer was, you would have no power unless it was given to you. you know, basically saying, I'm here because I am going to die, and it, you, it's not you who has the power. And another place is tell, it tells us that he could have called 12 legions of angels to protect him. That's power. <laughs> That's power to call 12 legions. That's more than all of the Roman armies put together. And he says, I could call enough angels. I could destroy Rome if that's what I want to do. And he chose to hang on that cross. He chose to become sin. He chose the agony for us so that we could be forgiven, that we could be left of, left without our sin behind. So we just want to think about this, and this is, a, this is one, like I say, this is a doctrine that is not a minor doctrine. Don't ever let somebody teach you that this is something not important. Well, you can have Jesus without the virgin birth. No, if he wasn't the virgin birth, he, wouldn't, he would not have been an acceptable sacrifice. And just as I said, the other two doctrines that are important, he rose from the dead. He was victorious over death. Very important doctrine. And then, of course, the six-day creation. And this is the saddest one because all over you'll hear people in churches say, well, that's not that important, you know. It's a very important doctrine. And just as I've said over and over and over again, if every word in this book is not true, we need to throw the book away. Because if it's not true and I, can't pit, and I have to sit here and choose what's true and what's not, I don't have something I can build my life upon. It's sand. It's total shifting sand if I can't believe every word in the scriptures. And I've studied it. I've looked it over. Every word is verifiable. Like I say, the virgin birth is probably the hardest one to, to try to verify because there's no way to prove it other than by faith. But God is perfectly able to give birth to a child without a father. Not a problem to God. If he can create the whole earth, he can create a child in the mother. Not a problem. If he can create the whole earth, he can resurrect Jesus Christ from the dead. Not a problem. It's only a problem if you're not going to accept that there's a God. And you want to say that it's man-made man and man-ridden. And we're not going to go there. We're not going to make that a statement. It is true. Every word of the Bible is true. And it has to be true. Let's close our closing prayer here. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you and celebrate your birth. Celebrate the birth of the, the God-man, the Theanthropos, the, the man and God, 100% man, 100% God, in a perfect union that is done by you. And we ask that we continue to think about you this week as we approach Christmas, and that you will be honored and, and lifted up in all these homes. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.